0: Listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I'm joined by.
1: Hi, I'm Swathanath Kumar. I am your other co-host and the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for the ACB.
0: Yes, and we are coming to you with another uh, info-packed episode, uh, with, uh, also with another call to action for ACB, our friends, and our members. So last week we talked with Sheila Styron about the Disability Access to Transportation Act, or DATA, And Swatha, those bill numbers are at H.R. 1697 in the House in S. 2038 in the Senate. Senate. That's right. So if you have not, please contact your members of Congress, especially in the House of Representatives, and urge them to co-sponsor H.R. 1697. Uh, also earlier this week, we had another action alert, and that was to support the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. Uh, that is a bill to make exercise and fitness equipment more accessible. The lead sponsor of that in the Senate is Illinois' own and <laughs> Swatha's
1: Senator Duckworth, Senator, Senator Duckworth. Yep, <laughs> Senator
0: Duckworth from <laughs> Illinois. And Swatha, what were our bill numbers there? In the Senate is S2504. And, and
1: in the House, I believe it was four, seven, five, six.
0: 4756. 4756. Um, so, once again, please urge your members of Congress in the House and Senate to support the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. And as we jump into our podcast here today, just want to say a quick thank you to ACB of Minnesota for underwriting the advocacy update. And thank you to all of you who are listening via ACB Media and your favorite podcast player. Please continue to listen, download, uh, and write us a review. And if you have any advocacy topics that you would like to hear about on the podcast uh, or that you would like ACB to focus on please let us know. Send us an email at advocacy at All right, Swatha, uh, we talked about our two previous action alerts, but what is our action alert for our ACB members and friends in the subject of this podcast here today?
1: So today it is the Medical Device non visual Accessibility Act, um, HR, 4853, and today we have guest Tom Tobin, who's president of ACB Diabetics in Action, and the Get Up, Get Moving, Drink Me Chair.
2: Hey,
0: Tom, how are you?
2: Greetings, Clark and Swatha. It's great to be with you both. I appreciate the invitation, and I look forward to having a productive conversation today.
0: Thanks, Tom. And before we get into this bill, share with us a little bit about your role
2: as uh, president of ACB Diabetics in Action. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I'm into my sixth week um, and uh, I'm laughing because um, as most affiliates and special interest affiliates experienced, um, we had pretty much a complete turnover of officers and board members. So we are coming together as a team. I will be having our first board meeting tomorrow night. Um, that's uh, August 26 and um, 8 o'clock Eastern. And um, so we are um, basically just getting logistical things in place, to be honest with you, Tr- transferring the treasury from former treasurer to new treasurer, um, getting new officers up to speed on things. So your typical transition in um, one, you know, one leadership group to another. So it's been, (laughs) it's been a busy, busy six weeks, but it's great. It's a great team we have. Everybody's been really helpful in the transition and very willing to work together. Uh, So I'm very grateful as a new president. Um, Our members have been very supportive of what we're doing Uh, We did just send out a survey asking our membership to uh, basically tell us what we're doing right and where we can improve, and uh, so look forward to getting that feedback. Um, And we had our community call last Saturday, which we call our casual chat, and uh, so I know our members are anxious to hear more about the legislation that's going on, Around fully accessible, durable medical equipment, and I know that they're very anxious to be part of that process. So um, I think I think working collaboratively, collaboratively with ACB and perhaps others in our blindness community, I think we can make some real progress on this issue.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. Um, so you're also chair of the Get Up, Get Moving Steering Committee. so Talking to the room about the work that you there.
2: Yeah, so ACB is working me hard, which is fine, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, um, I am yeah, I am the chair of the Get Up and Get Moving campaign. Uh, we've been meeting for, I don't know, about, about a month or so, about a month and a half, six weeks, I guess, and um, so we've had several meetings with the full committee, and I have to say um, that from our very first meeting, I was so impressed with the chemistry on our team. Uh, everybody, is focused and driven and goal-oriented. And um, so I I walked away from our first meeting just absolutely blown away with how competent and capable and driven our folks are. Um, so I am very happy. We've had the, the real pillars of our get up and get moving uh, campaign committee are our three subcommittees and that's advocacy, uh, which is chaired by Sheila Styron and um, the um, publicity PR committee, which is chaired by Terry, co-chaired by Terry Suarez and Le- Leslie Spoon, and the partnership subcommittee, which is chaired um, by Dan Dillon, and um, that is really where the sleeves get rolled up and where the work gets done. And it's a great group of people. Um, so, in addition to those three, um, we have uh, Connie S- uh, Sims. Um, mentioned Leslie and Messin, Sheila and Terry Suarez. And um, who am I missing? Uh, Dan Dillon was in there and me. And so um, it's a great group. Um, We just had our publicity subcommittee meeting uh, the other day. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on out there around uh, the Get Up and Get Moving campaign that we're very excited about um, looking to do a virtual event in October in celebration of White Cane Day on the 15th and um, possibly working collaboratively with ACB of New York as they're having their state convention in collaboration with Randolph Shepard vendors. Um, but again, it's all contingent upon what the COVID virus pandemic mm-hmm. is going to allow us to do, but some really good stuff, excellent folks that we're working with and I'm really excited to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we all want to, Get out get outside come together as a big acb family uh and hold these in-person events but there there seems to be you know uh COVID seems to have other plans right so <laughs> I, guess we all, are, I
2: guess we're all gonna be planning on booster shots here sometime soon so
0: yeah so we're we're all working through that the best we can so that we can bring everyone together in a safe and responsible manner Uh, So certainly look forward to hearing more and sharing with everyone more what we can when we have a, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. So as uh, (laughs) everything unfolds here, we'll be certainly to bring folks up to speed. But this also highlights why the advocacy pillar of the Get Up and Get Moving campaign is so important. And that's why as our two other action alerts, we had one dealing with transportation so that folks can get to the tools and resources and uh, that they need, as well as be an independent member of their community. The other one dealing with exercise and fitness, so we can try to combat uh, comorbid conditions like diabetes uh, before they become insurmountable, right? Um, Before they can cause really chronic and disparate health conditions that not only exacerbate vision loss, um, but impact other major life functions as well. So
2: I I, I would just add to that, that was very well said, Clark. And um, as I hope most of our listeners know, diabetes in this country and frankly, around the world is at epidemic levels. Um, And we're Particularly talking about type 2 diabetes, uh, which is typically not insulin dependent, but it really is a health crisis for our country because sometimes type 2 can go undiagnosed and people walk around with elevated blood sugars. And the result of elevated blood sugars, as you pointed out, Clark, um, are complications. And our healthcare system could really be in crisis if we don't get a handle on this. Um, and which is really does make and drive the point home that. Um, with diabetes, especially among working age folks, does uh, come vision loss or vision impairment. Um, My vision loss was profound. I went from 20, 20 to zero in a year. Um, So not only having the tools to try and prevent complications is important, but for those of us that have experienced complications, um, we have to make the case um, to the pharmaceutical industry that um, in order to prevent further complications and further cost to our healthcare system, we have to have the tools and devices in fully accessible uh, manner so that we can best manage our diabetes um, and prevent or delay, most times it's often prevent or delay other, for, you know, further complications. So that that's of critical importance to our community, um, and I just wanted to drive that point home because we need fully accessible durable medical equipment or we're going to have increasing costs to the healthcare system.
0: For sure and like like Tom said diabetes being the leading cause of vision loss for working age adults here in the U.S. uh, also disproportionately impacts people who are you know Low-income people who are minorities—African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Native Americans, Asian Pacific Islanders—so um, it's it does not discriminate. It is an equal opportunity offender, uh, <laughs> and and Swatha, that's why it's so important that we're here today talking about HR forty-eight fifty-three.
1: Yes, absolutely. So this act, this bill, or this bill would. Um, Apply to the FCA to work work with the US Access Board to establish um get guidelines and, and standards to afford for accessibility um for knowledge access. So um to add things like screen tech, screen access technology, text speech or um tactical or to audible tones to provide the knowledge access that these devices lack currently. So
0: yeah and this build, it would require these uh, non-visual access technologies, everything, like Swatha said, simply tactile markings, audible tones, but in some cases, more than that, text-to-speech, screen readers. So depending on what the device is, there's a number of ways that it can be made accessible. right? And we're talking about uh, class two and class three, medical devices. So class two, those are devices that support, that pose a, you know, a moderate to high risk to the user. So the, the way these devices are class, class one, um, you know, relatively low to no risk to the user. you know, think about like a tongue depressor, uh, a hospital bed, bandages, things like that. Um, class two devices, there's a bit more risk to the user. And then class three devices are devices that would pose a, uh, you know, severe risk or they're implantable devices uh, or devices that if they are misused could cause, you know, serious harm. Um, so, Tom, uh, what would happen if you misuse a a continuous glucose monitor?
2: Well, um, a number of things could happen, but um, since that is a device that monitors your blood sugar at a constant rate, if you don't check your blood sugar uh, simply by either using the handheld scanner, which at this point is not accessible at all, or a smartphone app, either for iOS or for Android, it would be just as bad as if you weren't doing finger sticks to check your blood sugar. Um, The continuous glucose monitors, uh, there are two out there, Libre and Dexcom. um, And uh, I've become a big fan of uh, them because they make checking your blood sugar so easy. All you do is go into the app and double tap on the scan or uh, check glucose and it's scan the sensor, just wave your phone over the sensor and it reads what your blood sugar is. and the case of Dexcom, they actually, as built into their app, you don't even have to pull your phone out. You just say to Siri, hey, Siri, what's my glucose? And she'll read it to you. Um, so, but like any device, whether it's accessible or not accessible, the the, the, the end user has to, you know, use it properly. Um, and that that's the bottom line, but uh, it, 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 it's, so there's more to it than just making the devices fully accessible. There's education, diabetes education about what it means to manage your diabetes. And that is beyond just checking your blood sugars, either taking your oral medication or injecting insulin. It means uh, having a good nutrition program, um, back to our get up and get moving, uh, having a good exercise regime. Uh, exercise and diabetes is great in managing your blood sugars, especially in type 2s. In fact, type twos that uh, exercise enough can actually stop their oral medication. So, um, you know, it's really important that you put together a full plan of how to manage your diabetes. And it goes well beyond just checking your blood sugars. Um, But to your point earlier, Clark, about the different levels of devices, um, as you both know, I sat on the International Standards Organization and we created a standard um, that all countries have adopted throughout the world that basically gives the pharmaceutical industry a roadmap towards baking their injectable devices. So these would be things like insulin pens, uh, epinephrine pen, anything needle-based um, to show them how to make it fully accessible. So to your point, Clark, earlier, somebody like me can, can administer a dose of insulin, insulin in a non-visual way and do it as safely and as and as, um consistently as somebody who could see, and that's where you get into the whole um, issue of making it fully accessible. Um, so that that's that's an important consideration because we do unfortunately have some history in the space where uh, some somebody did misuse an insulin pen and they overdosed and killed themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So there is there is room for concern, but I'm. And that was not because they were visually impaired. It was because they had some cognitive issues, um, but it doesn't matter. It's whatever the disability, you got to make it work for everybody. So it um, that's really important um, because it, it, in my mind, it has to be, you know, and I guess you could say a partnership. So a farmer needs to do their part to make their devices fully accessible. And we as consumers need to make sure we use them responsibly and consistently Um Otherwise, frankly, they're no good to us.
0: Yeah, Tom, I like how you gave an example of describing continuous glucose monitors, which are a pretty high-tech, innovative product. Um, It involves technology, and there are ways to make that technology accessible. But then in talking about uh, injectables, needle-based products, that's That's not high tech, right? There's no microprocessors and LCD touchscreen displays. Um, That would still be considered a class two medical device because it, like you just outlined, could could cause serious bodily harm and in that unfortunate case, death. But there are ways, like you just said, uh, to make that accessible. So if we we know those ways exist, why, why aren't we doing it? Um, Why isn't it mandatory? And that's what this bill is seeking to do.
2: And I would say you're absolutely right, because I do. I was on insulin pump for 23 years, and um, the only thing I was really able to do independently was to um, fill the reservoir with insulin, prime the infusion set, uh, inject the infusion set into my stomach, and Basically, execute what's called a bolus, which means basically tell the pump to deliver an X number of units of insulin. But there were so much other functionality in pumps back in those days, but today, even more sophistication, where you could um, deliver a square wave bolus, which tells the pump, I want you to deliver 20 units over a three hour period of time. So if you're having a complex carb meal like pizza, which we all love, It'll deliver the insulin as, it's, as the carbs are hitting your bloodstream, so it maintains your blood sugar level. Uh, but even the simplest uh, things, Clark and Swatha, um, I couldn't even set the time on my pump or the date. I couldn't change the basal rate, which is the basal background insulin that goes into your body every five minutes or whatever. And those are all, you know, really important functionality. So when I say fully accessible, I mean... I can use the device just as well as somebody who has full vision. Uh, that is the bottom line. Um, if these devices, which as you pointed out, Clark, are getting more and more sophisticated every day. Um, if I can't access all the different bells and whistles of these devices, then they're really not that helpful to me. Um, uh, having audible bolus was great, as at least I had an accessible way to deliver a bolus, but that's all I could do. Um, You know, and you get back to your point about insulin pens. I mean, I I use insulin pens now, and, you know, you basically turn the knob to dial up an an amount of insulin, a dose of insulin, and it's very easy to use it. You hear the clicks. You can feel the clicks. Um, So that's not intentionally built-in accessibility, but for those of us who are blind or visually impaired and diabetic, it works just fine. And it's getting crazy, Clark and Swatha. They now have come out with what they call are smart pens, which actually have an interface via Bluetooth with your smartphone. And it will actually um, help you keep track of the insulin you're taking. And um, it actually has alarms, which God forbid, if you actually forget to take your insulin, it has an alarm to remind you to do that. Again, that gets back to the whole thing about uh, being a responsible and consistent partner with these devices. so it's it's getting really really sophisticated, um, and and yes, you have the basic most uh, non-technical device like an insulin pen, all the way up to these smart pens to insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, you know, plain old glucose meters, um, which you know are a way to do finger sticks to check blood sugars. Um, and uh, so, um, and I guess one other piece I would mention too that's really important is that a lot of type twos that are not uh, insulin dependent at this point are not being approved for continuous glucose monitors. And that's something we should keep in mind as well. Uh, the rules, in my opinion, are being enforced um, inconsistently. So some, <clears throat> some people get the devices and some don't. And um, so that's part of our advocacy. I think we should address that because I think um, especially people on Medicare Medicaid that we need to enforce the rules consistently so that um, people can get the devices they need. I mean, to me, the bottom line is, if it's medically necessary and it'll help you better manage your disease, why wouldn't you want your patient to have that? I mean, you want to improve their life, extend their life, uh, give them a healthier life. Um, so all those things uh, really can make and make or break an individual.
0: Absolutely, and, and I mean, we we focus a lot on this space. It, on diabetes, right? Because, because of the prevalence within our community. Uh, this bill has the potential to impact much more than uh, diabetes management testing supplies, insulin pumps, um, continuous glucose monitors, uh, everything from you know, thermometers, blood pressure. Cuffs, pulse pulse oximeters for checking your blood oxygen levels. Um, you know anything for measuring your heart rhythm. Um, you know I'm blanking on what those are called, but if you are being tested for something like tachycardia, um, as well as you know, even scales and and other devices. The the reason I'm outlining outlining the the broad swath of technology in this space is because these are things that people use every day or every week. And especially throughout the pandemic, when we've had more folks uh, receiving care through telehealth or remote healthcare in a you know, video portals for their appointments, not necessarily going into the doctor's office. It's going to become more and more critical that our members in the broader community have access to these remote monitoring and diagnostic and treatment tools so that A, you know, we can take charge of our own health and get up and get moving, but B, so that we can communicate and share this information with our doctors as we are also taking taking advantage of these telehealth and remote monitoring services.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. I think that is definitely the way medicine is going. And, um, and that's a good thing, especially for people that live Absolutely. in rural, rural communities and uh, it's not easy for them to get to a doctor, so.
0: No, I mean, rural communities, even, uh, even for folks in urban communities without access to uh, you know, public transit, local transportation options, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. If, if, it is a, if transportation is a barrier, these are tools that would be able to, to help someone manage their own and take charge of their own medical condition. So Swatha, uh, H.R. 4853, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, who is the sponsor of this legislation?
1: Yeah, so this bill was introduced by Representative Jan Schakowsky from Illinois' 9th district. And the school sponsors are Representative Lee, um, Representative Pekon, or POCON, and Representative um, Ross, yeah.
0: And and Representative Connolly. So Connolly's from Virginia. Uh, Representative Ross is from North Carolina. Uh, Representative pockin is from Wisconsin, and Representative Lee is from California. Uh, Tom, I'm not noticing any
2: any members from Ohio
0: on this co-sponsor list.
2: Well, that really provides an interesting opportunity for improvement. Um, and I will say right now, I'm not even sure who my congressional representative is because Marsha Fudge was appointed to um, housing and urban development, I believe. And uh, so my, my particular representative, I'm not sure who that is right now. I know we've got uh, two people, well, three people running uh, for that slot. So yeah, but you know, I don't, That's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure who that would be, but we got to get our other Ohio folks involved, um, and we will, be, we will be doing that with our uh, our, our our outreach to them to uh, get more people involved. But um, yeah, I just I really just wanted to reiterate the fact that I think we really have an opportunity in our community right now. Among people who are impacted by vision and pause, vision impairment with diabetes, um, because we've really got some support uh, legislatively to get this done, um, so we we can't we can't afford to squander this opportunity. And um, you know, working across the aisle with our friends in the federation again, this is an equal. what you call it, Clark an equal opportunity offender? Um, so it affects all of us who are diabetic. And living with vision impairment and diabetes, so yeah. I am very, I am, I am very passionate to get this done, and I commit to do whatever I need to do to help make that happen. So,
0: well, for for anyone out there, uh, like Tom, Tom's in a special circumstance as his representative was appointed to the administration, and that that seat is vacant at the moment. But if you are also curious, who your representative is in the house of representatives um swatha if folks want to find out who their representatives who is their representative what can they do
1: yes absolutely so you can go to congress.gov or house.gov and put in your five digit your five digit zip code and it'll fill out and it'll tell you which representative representative
0: yes and uh for me when I went to house.gov put in my five digit zip code I actually had to then put in my zip plus four you know or street address so that they could narrow it down sometimes zip codes are split between congressional districts um, but once you're able to do that then it'll populate with the con- the website and the contact information for your member of the house of representatives if websites aren't your thing, but you still want to find out who your representative is, or you know uh, your member of Congress and you want to be connected with them, you can always call the US Capitol Switchboard, and that is 202 224 3121. It's 202 224 3121. 2-1. And Swatha, what should folks tell their representatives once they get a hold of them?
1: Definitely. So um, just to represent that you are a constituent and that you urge them to co-sponsor or support legislation um, if they are when the funds are ready, if they are Joukowsky, Lee, Connolly, Ross, or Pocon, or yeah. Um, <laughs> You can thank them for sponsoring and thank them for their support of the blind or fiat community.
0: And Tom, I know once you're able to get a hold of uh, the rest of the Ohio delegation, uh, in addition to letting them know that you're an Ohio constituent and that you want them to support uh, HR 4853, I think it's, it's also important for folks to share why these bills are so important, right? And how this would uh, really impact their constituents. So what sort of information would you share with the the members of Congress from Ohio, Tom?
2: Well, um, not to sound too blunt, but um, getting pharmaceutical companies to make their devices fully accessible is in my opinion, a life or death situation. Um, As I said earlier, it can help prevent complications from the get-go. And for those of us that have experienced complications, it can help us prevent or delay further complications. I can't think of anything more important um, when it comes to having the access to the equipment that can help extend our lives, make our lives healthier and, and more enjoyable. Um, so frankly, for me, this is really a no-brainer. Um, and, you know, we, we have a chance to do it, but I would really drive the point home that without this legislation and without the passage of this legislation, that um, your congressman or woman is really putting their constituents in harm's way. And I know that sounds kind of direct and kind of blunt, but folks, I have to say that now's the time to tell it the way it is, and it is the way it is. Um, As Clark mentioned earlier, diabetes among working age is still a leading cause of vision impairment and Besides vision impairment, it can cause amputation, kidney disease, heart problems, uh, circulation problems, neuropathy, which is um, the complications to the nervous system which can affect things like digestion, uh, your ability to you know feel things to like read and write braille, for example, or read it anyway. and um, so diabetes, Type one and type two is a nasty business, and we must we must work together to compel our congressmen and women to get this done for us.
0: And in as Tom said, we must work together in, in the spirit of collaboration. You know, we we commend the federation for their work to get this bill introduced. Uh, but as we stated, the diabetes and health conditions you know, they don't care whether you're a member of NFB. <laughs> ACB, or even you know the Blinded Veterans Association, or you're one of the millions of people with vision loss who is unaffiliated. Right, uh, this is legislation that that can help everyone. This is legislation that is important to all of our members and all people uh, who are blind and experiencing vision loss. So this is a, a great reason for us all to collaborate and work together to. Uh, contact our members of Congress in support of HR 4853. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, We certainly look forward to working with you on the Get Up and Get Moving campaign, as well as working with you to activate those members of ACB Diabetics in Action and the broader community as folks are contacting their members of Congress please let us know in the ACB National Office. You can email us at advocacy at to share with us what members you contacted, whether that was via phone call or email and the response that you received. You can also uh, give Swatha or me, but mainly Swatha, a call here at the National Office. And that's, I'm just joking, give, give Swatha... Ed, and me, Clark, (laughs) for call. Our number, 202-467-5081. We'd love to be able to track and follow up when necessary with these members. It makes our jobs a lot easier when our members and their constituents have already contacted them uh, to build those relationships. And communicate directly with our members so that way when we're following up, it's not a new issue to them and they already have it on their radar and know how important it is to their constituents. Absolutely. So, Tom, again, thanks for your time here today. And as we sign out, Swatha,
1: keep advocating. <laughs>